0: everyone, and welcome to The Geek Rant, episode 232, Mini Rants, number one, recorded April 3rd, 2016, and brought to you by Element Opie Productions, elementop.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the show where we let our geek flag fly. I am your host, Mark, the Sultan of the Soapbox Cockerel, and joining me this week, as always, are your two stalwart co-hosts, Chris, the Command Line Godfather Neves, and Seth, the Gooey Kid Anderson.
1: Hello, gentlemen. Hello, everyone out there in internet land. Gentlemen, I hope
2: we're going to have a great show, because I feel like having at least one. And welcome, everyone. I am so glad you could join us today. Is this really our first uh, mini rant show? No. It is. The first one by that name. Huh. Oh, we were going to do one, but we didn't have enough before. Right. Okay. That was like, we've done this before, but okay, okay.
0: But since I officially uh, put... Um. It's a John Joel Joe in the chat room says he thought he was saying L M N O P Productions. Yes, that's what it's Element OP. It's from L M N O P. It's the joke that only I get, and I, I silently chuckle inside myself every time. Um. But uh, the rest of the world doesn't get it. But that's neither here nor there. Um. The, yeah. This uh last week, a bit of programming. We we missed a show. You, it wasn't your podcast player. Uh. We just didn't show up. It was Easter, and uh, Chris had family in, and frankly, I just decided I didn't want to do it. Um, this is what happens when we don't have sponsors. There's no reason for me to do a show.
1: <laughs> well, that's truth in advertising, or yeah, truth in hosting. <laughs>
0: intellectual honesty. Yes. So if you, if you want, to, uh, want us to do a show every week, you need to make sure that we get sponsors. And then I have to, because it's in the contract, literally in the contract. Uh but anyway, we we're I'm glad to have uh glad to be back. Uh but we did miss a week. Uh, I spent the day uh honoring Jesus by watching uh Netflix, uh specifically Daredevil. Because uh, i 'cause I'm I'm sure that if Jesus were alive today, um no, I can't even sell that. No it's a joke. I, I
1: don't think that one will go. It's a good attempt. It's a good attempt. <laughs>
0: Uh, so yeah, that, uh, we're glad to be back. I I really uh, sometimes it's nice to not do a show. To be quite honest, just to have the week to not because it's not just the time that we do here. There's the show prep and the, and the production and the the publication and all of that. So it's it's not just the couple of hours or that we spend here. It's there's a lot of work that goes into one of these shows. And sometimes it's just nice not to do one. But I always miss it when we when we don't do it. So I'm um, I'm glad to be back. I hope you missed us and just didn't not even notice. Um, <laughs> But I do want to just let you know we, are uh, we, my family, <coughs> is we're going to be moving uh, very soon because the house that we're currently renting is being put on the market. So we got to get out. Uh, so there will definitely be some upcoming disruptions in the show. I don't know any more about that. I don't have any details. But uh, in the next couple of months, I'm probably going to have to take a big chunk of time off as we relocate not just my studio but everything else we own. So there you go.
1: Well, I hope it becomes a nice smooth move and you don't have any problems finding new places to hang your hat.
0: Well, uh, it's a uh, the reason my my landlord is selling is because right now in Atlanta it is a super hot market. It's it's a a seller's market all the way. Um I saw a a a guy I know's dad, right? So it was one of those things. Um uh, Posted on Facebook, and because we're that second-level connection, I saw it. It was this perfect house for us. Actually, right in the same – my kids wouldn't even have to change schools. Um, and he posted it, uh, like put a sign in the yard Thursday, signed a contract Friday. Wow. Um, yeah, at at full asking price, no contingencies, and and had a second backup contract in case that one
1: fell through. Wow, uh, so, that's impressive.
0: Yeah, good for him, not so much for me. So that's the kind of market that I'm looking to jump into. So it's it may be a bit challenging.
2: Ouch! I'm sorry. <laughs> um, when do you have to in, pull
1: the plug on your current residence?
0: Uh, my lease is uh, ends in, on July 10th, but I'd really rather not be moving on July 4th weekend. So I'm hoping to. My plan, my hope, is to move to close on something early June and spend the month of June moving. Sure, that's what that would be nice. Uh, what that m- might mean is that I'm farming the kids out to neighbors and I'm in the uh, U store place with all my stuff in a in a hot uh, plate. That mm-hmm. may be how it happens. We'll just have to see what happens.
1: Hmm. Oh, that sucks, man. I hope you find somewhere yeah. quickly.
0: That's why we're buying because, you know, mo- renting sucks every time. Even if you got the best situation, it's still not your house. Right. And, and you're paying for somebody else's mortgage. Uh, so, Chris, uh, no. You're not Chris Seth. Uh, you, uh, you ran since we last spoke yet another 5k.
2: Yes. I ran last Saturday, the rebuild Rowlett. There was a tornado that came through Rowlett back months ago. And so they did this 5k to raise money and my time was like 43 minutes and seven seconds. But here's my rant against the city of Rowlett. They had the start and end point was on like the track at the high school. And so, you know, you, they have the start. So you run, and then about 40 yards, you have to go through this gate that is approximately half the width of the starting line. So in three minutes, I had ran, or I had moved roughly 40 yards. So So
0: everybody's time was terrible because of that. Well,
2: I, I know if you were first out of the gates, you know, and you got there before the rush, it wasn't. But I didn't want to wait till the super end and try to dodge through people. But so... I would have, and then later, you know, and it hasn't gotten near the end. I was like, I'm not going to make 40 anyway, so I'm not going to try to push myself. So it was 43 minutes, but I ran, um, and I've decided I'm only going to run twice on the week after the 5k, because since the 5ks are all on pavement and I'm a very fat man, my legs appreciate the slow recovery, but I did the best training I've ever done. I ran a mile, walked to lap, ran a mile, walked to lap, ran a mile. So I've never, cool. I, I haven't run that long. Well, lumber. I mean, really, it's not a run. Anybody who sees me, it's not a run. But anyway, so I did the best I had done when I did that Friday. But yeah, I'm still on it. So I've done, I've completed one fourth of my five Ks. So yay me. Here, I'll pat Good myself the back. still flexible enough to do that.
0: uh, it sounds cheesy and it really is it's the cheesiest thing to say but truly Seth I'm proud of you uh the reason it's cheesy is I had nothing to do with it and you're not doing it for me in any way but truly I am proud of you it's uh it's a it's a life-changing thing that you're doing here and it's not to be taken lightly yeah nice work brother
2: yeah you know before when I did this before I was able to just it was so easy for me to change the amount of food that I ate and lose weight This time it's not happening. I'm still in the three seventies and if I could lose some weight, I know my running would feel better, but it's just a lot harder for me to eat less this time. I'm not eating more. So, you know, there's that, but Hmm. anyway, so, you know, that's not, we're not on runners weekly or anything like that. So, but that's, that's just, that's my update.
0: So you ranted at the at the uh, uh, city of Rockwell. I will rant at the essentially the state of Georgia, really the, the United States. Um, I got an email from one of my kids' teachers, um, I won't say who, uh, saying, I'm paraphrasing, we've done all the learning we're going to do this year. From here on out, it's going to be test prep and, and testing. This, this at the end of March, beginning of April. Wow. So there's there now eight or nine more weeks of school, and they have literally covered all the material they're going to cover. There will be no more material covered, no more lessons, no more learning for the next two months of school they will be pr- preparing for and then testing. That's crap. That sucks. That, that, is, that is wrong in so many ways. I'm mean, incensed at that, that not just as a parent, but as a human being. You have these children here at the most fertile age of their life when, when they're just little sponges sucking things up and you're wasting that on some stupid standardized test. That is, it is unconscionable and unacceptable. And, and it's not, it's not unique. The, what's happening at my school and that, that one teacher, that one teacher was just more honest about it yep. than most teachers. This is happening all across the country because we have bowed down and worshiped a test and and education is completely secondary it's all about whether or not you can pass the test we don't actually care whether you learn anything and we're going to spend you know the 9 months uh, that you're in school to to make sure that you pass a test whether uh, whether or not you learn anything and to actually see that in print we've covered all the material we're going to cover the next 2 months is just bs it makes me want to pull my kid out of school frankly it makes me just want to say you're done your school year is over i j- i have it right here in writing it says your school year is over
1: mm-hmm. Well, that's why we, everyone is being—you know—that whole how do we make everyone accountable and always pass the kid along to the next teacher—it's it, ridiculous.
2: Um, I think they
1: should learn all the way into the last day they can.
2: You know, Mark, I am—I'm transformed by your rant, and so here is my action plan: we will come up with some way to measure what the kids have known and what they've learned. So we'll know how much longer the school year needs to be.
0: <laughs> yes. So maybe some sort of standardized evaluation.
2: No. Yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll we'll do some type of evaluation. And because, you know, you can't have a million different evaluations, we'll have to come up with one evaluation that will cover everyone. And, see. you know, we'll do that and then we'll see what they haven't learned. So we'll know what, they haven't learned
0: you're mocking me aren't you
2: no i'm <laughs> maybe mocking a little the system i'm agreeing <laughs> with you um
0: that's uh from toy story by the way you're mocking me aren't you? oh. um i i just i um i have always been in favor of end of course testing at the end of the course you do a test and did you did you pass the material do you do you know the material in that course if not you fail the course you fail enough courses, you fail the grade. This all makes perfect sense. And we've been doing it since, oh, forever. Until um, <laughs> no child last, left behind. Well, it was before that. I mean, there was... That's my point. Uh, you know, when I was growing up, the we had the the TEAMS, teams. test, Texas Educational Assessment of Minimum Skills. Uh, and then it was the TAX. No, there was something before TAX. toss, Texas Assessment... Mm-hmm of associated skills, something like no, that. No, one anyway. of those
2: A's stood for something else, I think. Yeah, anyway. But anyway. The,
0: there's, always, there's been something like that even before No Child Left Behind, so I don't want to point uh, put it on that. But the point is that uh, the we've gone a little overboard with testing, and instead of testing the course, we're testing the system, and we all know the system is broken.
1: Yeah, the system's been broken for years, so, you know, Do we have the answers? Obviously, we don't, but uh, I think the model we're in right now is not the answer.
0: Uh, Joe in the chat room is suggesting uh, a year-round school. Our school does really close to that. Uh, We do uh, a week off every six weeks. I like that. It works out nicely. You you have these sort of brain resets for the kids throughout the year, and then it's a very short summer. Um, Not quite year-round school, but close to it. Um, But that doesn't change the fact that for the last, we we're now wasting nine weeks. We're just we have admitted that that it's it's wasted, and and that's the reason I'm not mincing the teacher's name for being honest and calling a spade a spade. That teacher could possibly get in real trouble, uh, but we all know that education has stopped. And then and then there's always some level of 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 schools some weeks to whatever uh, after the testing. So we finish the test. Why are we still here? Why? Because the state says we have to go to school 187 or whatever
1: days. Yeah. Or you, they don't get funding. Right.
0: Anyway, I'm going to move off of that. Uh, <laughs> that could be, that could be not only an episode, that could be a, a, a podcast. Uh, for 15 <laughs> years, I devoted my life to public education. Obviously, I feel strongly about it. Uh, but I'm going to move on and uh, say I took my kids yesterday. It was my birthday this weekend. Um, so, uh, for my birthday, we went to see a kids movie. Not really sure how that works out, but if you're a parent, you understand that math.
1: Definitely. Uh, So
0: we went to see Zootopia. And if you're a parent and your kids want to go see it, I'm gonna tell you it's okay. It's it's entertaining for parents too. Um in much much like Shrek, there is a visual gag in every frame of the film. Um some some funny thing happening that is so understated off in the bottom left corner of the screen. That it actually becomes sort of a game to watch it, and and the the cheesy plot, uh, you can you can keep up with pretty easily. But you find yourself looking for, all right, we've changed scenes. Where's the gag? What's the what's the? Oh, there it is. That's funny. Um, so good good movie. Um, John Lasseter knows how to tell a story. Uh, he's the guy who pretty much was the driving force behind Pixar. Disney bought Pixar. Everything since uh, Princess and the Frog has been Pixar over
1: at Disney. Mm-hmm. So.
0: It's, it's worthwhile. Go check it out. Cool. Um, and your kids will enjoy it, and you will too.
1: Good. I was wondering about that.
0: Yeah, and it's it's been out for like three weeks, so it's probably coming to your town soon, Chris.
2: Yeah, maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's one I want to see.
0: All right, and uh, I can't play a link that says Just Watch, and I don't <laughs> know who put that
1: in there. That's me. So That's okay. the link to the app that I wanted to talk about. Okay. So this is the, the app that I've, I picked up on. I don't, I don't remember which app show it was for Android, but it's a pro, it's an app called Just Watch and you type in, you attach to, you know, you say these are the s- streaming services I use and you can search for things and it'll not just show up in the stuff that you watch. You know, they'll give you quick links to get to those, but it'll also show you the other services that the whatever you typed in shows up in. So like pre show, we were talking about um the great the great master the grand master. grandmaster grandmaster the grandmaster the grandmaster and mark said it was only uh uh disc on uh, netflix when i typed it into just watch it also showed up on that hey voodoo and xbox uh xbox live has this available for streaming now so it's a neat little tool that if you're looking for shows to watch and you want to know what services those things are on this is a good thing for you uh, I've used it probably once a week now since I learned about it, just because I was curious to find out where I could go watch a show that someone talks about. So cool! It's a cool thing, and it's free.
0: Huh. All right, yeah. There's there's others like it. Can I stream it? Uh, can I stream it? Yeah, is, is one that I've used. I, I, uh, it's not an app, just a website.
1: Yeah, that was just a website. This one just kind of got a little bit more to it. Um, it also has a "What's Hot and Popular" button, so you can. If you don't have cable, like I don't, you sometimes you know miss things under the that kind of flow by. So it's kind of a neat thing to keep your your thumb close to the the beat of you know TV.
0: All right, and so moving on from TVs to movies, I, I saw Zootopia, Seth. You saw Batman
2: versus Superman. G- give us your non
0: spoilery impressions.
2: Well, I did, and I've got to say, after seeing all the previews and trailers that were out there, I really. Was expecting a load of crap, but it's really good. Um, you, if you've never, if somehow you've managed to avoid any trailers, don't watch them. Close your eyes, plug your ears because <laughs> they give you this false concept of what the movie's going to be. It ends up, they, they tell the story. They seem to be pretty. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, it's a superhero movie, comic book movie, so you got to throw logic out the window. But it seems to be fairly consistent, and they did a good job of continuing the universe from, what was it, The Man of Steel? And uh, But anyway, Mm -hmm. it's really good. I do recommend it. It. I think is really cool. They introduced who all is going to be in the Justice League film that will be coming at some point in the future. And it looks like it could be pretty dang good. Yeah, I'm
0: I'm looking forward to it. Uh, All the hardcore geeks that I've talked to hated it, which means it's probably going to be a pretty good movie. Um, Because oftentimes the things that make the hardcore geeks happy don't make a good movie. Um, And one of the things that the primary complaint I had about Man of Steel, I actually really liked it from the standpoint of a first contact uh, movie. That was that was an angle nobody's taken with Superman before, at least not that I had seen. Uh, So I I like that. But my complaint really about it was that the big battle scene between him and Zod just went on too long. It was too expansive. It became. Uh, boring isn't the right word, but it, it, it became numbing at some point when you see the magnitude of human uh, destruction. But now I get it—that magnitude of destruction actually set up this movie. So you you mm. couldn't you couldn't have done this movie as effectively had you not had the epic battle scene in the first one.
2: That is right, and I mean these movies are darker than the Marvel universe has been up to this point. So, you know, it's, it's not the, you know, of course, I I mean, you know, there were people with toddlers in there watching the movie. I don't understand that, but your kids, I mean, you know, whereas the others might've been PG, let's say if, if Marvel universe is PG, then the DC universe looks like it's going to be PG 13, Hmm. just a little bit more mature subject matter, a little bit darker and more edgy. So Hmm.
1: It's an interesting thought. My, my, I haven't seen it yet. My little brother said that I'm going to hate it. So I'm curious to find out when I actually sit down to watch it, which way I actually land. Because uh, I usually like to take my, my baggage, so to speak, off of me when I go to a, a Marvel or DC-based movie. Um, I di- wasn't a big fan of the first Superman that, you know, this last, not Batman versus Superman, but the one before it. I wasn't a big fan of it. So it'll be interesting to see how I land on this one.
0: See, and I really liked it. I watch it repeatedly. Actually, I've seen it really? seven or eight times. Uh, so I, I understand that I am unusual in that. But I think it was a really good take on on the story. Um. Anyway, the, the by the way, in case you didn't get from the title, Mini rants. This is going to be a feedback show. What we used to call listener feedback. Uh, but we're feeding forward first. <laughs> We've got a lot of stuff up here. Uh. So I'm gonna uh, and I'm gonna just embrace that. That that's fine. Um. I do want to say, since it was my birthday, uh, you know, I've I've mentioned on this uh, show a few times that I'm I'm getting into the world of uh, autonomous, uh, not autonomous, unmanned aerial aerial vehicles. I actually don't want them to be autonomous; that's no fun. I want to be able to that's fly them. Skynet. Um, so I've bought <laughs> um I've bought you know two toy drones uh, at this point, and I don't like the term drone, but these truly are drone. They're remote controlled aerial vehicles, so it's a it's an appropriate. These just happen to be quadcopters that were also drones. Uh, so anyway. I uh, uh, lost the first one, flew it off into nowhere, and the second one I have crashed many, many times, um, but it's a trainer drone. That's what it's for. Uh, it's durable, and uh, it's it's kind of a piece of crap, uh, more so now that I've crashed it many, many times. <laughs> so I decided for my birthday I was going to step up and buy, a, you know, not a pro-grade drone, but a better one. Uh, mm-hmm. So I spent hours doing some research on it and uh, finding out, you know, the the one that was right for me. I'm not interested in like the the DJI Phantoms. They're they're all about a stable platform, and so the electronics do a lot of the work for you, and that's fine. If what you want to do is focus on taking pictures, I don't want to f- I don't want to take pictures from a of an aerial platform. I want to fly an aerial vehicle. So mm-hmm. it's a whole different thing. And and a lot of those things, you know, you can get these things that are just, they do everything for you, literally everything for you. You plug in uh, ahead of time on a laptop, this GPS point, this GPS point, this GPS point, and it flies a swoop for, for you with a with a gimbal and everything's perfect. And all you have to do is focus on taking your pictures. And if you're a photographer, that's what you want. That's not what I want. I want something that is nimble and quick and more, more obstacle racing uh, that I hope to do a little later on. So right now I'm just trying to figure out how to, Fly without crashing. I can't even consider racing, so I thought, <laughs> all right, I'm going to step up. I'm going to get this thing. I'm not. I'm not going to go, you know, thousand dollars, but I'm going to spend two fifty. That was kind of the 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 money point that I put down. So I had done my research, and and to get under that two fifty, I had to come down on on the quad a little bit because you got to get extra batteries, uh, because even the best ones only fly twenty minutes on a charge. Most of them ten or less. So I had it all uh, in my cart ready to go, and I was just about to click the purchase button, and I thought. What the heck are you doing? You have still not flown one flight without crashing. Why are you even considering spending money on a more uh, advanced drone? <laughs> so I hit delete and went to bed. Uh, so I, I don't have a new drone to tell you about, uh, but I did go out today and spent. I, I now have a collection of batteries that will let me spend about an hour and a half um, flying around, and and I flew flew it today, and I think I've reached the limit of what I can do with this twenty dollar toy. So I am going to buy maybe a hundred dollar. Toy, um, uh, the next step up. But uh, if you're interested in, in uh, quad flying at all, I, I'd love to talk with you uh, in the chat room, or you can reach me on Google Plus. Because I'm really I'm getting into that sort of thing. It's interesting to me. It's fun, uh, especially the as a physics geek. These things are so unstable. It's like flying a refrigerator, <laughs> um, and you it, it literally isn't possible without advanced electronics. And the fact that you can get these advanced electronics for twenty dollars in a chinese made plastic toy still blows my mind um but when you cut the power on this thing it falls like a refrigerator it's it's just got nothing yeah you know an airplane you can cut the power and glide control you can do something no no this one is it's like if you've ever uh, been on a jet ski and and your brain you're about to run into something and your brain says oh we need to cut power well that's the absolute worst thing you could do on a jet ski because power is control And when you cut the power, you have no control. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing here. Um, I got it up about uh, 60 feet maybe. And I wanted to see. okay, I'm going to cut power. I'm going to put it into free fall. And I'm just going to see, can I recover from this? This may happen at some point. Can I recover from a free fall? So I cut power. It fell about three feet and turned upside down. And I had absolutely no ability (laughs) to do anything. So at that Uh point, at that point, applying the throttle just accelerated it toward the ground because it was upside down. Uh, some models can do that flying upside down thing mine doesn't so it, it is it is like trying to fly a refrigerator uh and that fascinates me my daughter came out today while i while i was flying around and said is that fun I said yes it's a lot of fun i don't see how that's fun you're just going <laughs> up and forward and back up and down the street i said but it's really challenging and that's what makes it fun
1: so does she is she one of the minecraft people though because like my son says that minecraft is fun but i look at it and go i don't See any enjoyment factor in that other than the creation, but that's not fun for me right now.
0: She doesn't like building Minecraft. She likes de- tearing up what other people built. Like the, ah. the the pick tool is like the only thing she enjoys doing. She <laughs> she's a a dress em up glitter girl. Yeah, uh, yeah. I refer to her as my princess that'll kick your butt. She will go out in in a tiara and a flowy dress and climb a tree. Uh, so she's a mix of the tomboy and the that, princess. That
1: sounds like my daughter. But she's working on her purple trim belt now in taekwondo. So, yes.
0: Okay, uh, I'm gonna let you talk about one other thing because it is a, I'm guessing, a podcast. The Geek and Sundry they're they're a podcast production company, and yes, uh, they are. You want to talk about a podcast called Critical Role?
1: Yes, it's my new addiction. Um, These are three hour blocks of their D and D sessions. So, for those that don't remember, I'm a huge Dungeons and Dragons geek. Um, I probably have three hundred plus dollars stuffed into books for the for that type of uh, for tabletop gaming, um, and I've I've just about fallen out of playing D anD D. And I was like, you know, haven't played in months, and I am starting to get a little more, you know, I am starting to lose my my thought process for for writing stories for it. And then I start, I stumbled upon this podcast and watched out of episode, re- obviously. So I. Didn't understand what was going on in the story, but it was. I think there's seven um, voice actors that are all doing playing a the game. They've been playing together for years, and they just decided that one night let's throw it up on Twitch and see, you know, if we get people that like it. And now they're at around episode fifty something, um, and it's if if you enjoy storylines, but you enjoy the conversation that happens be underneath. Uh, for like a Dungeons and Dragons type thing. And if you've ever been involved in Dungeons and Dragons, you will like this. Um, everybody that I know that I've pointed at it, they went, they, they, they curse my name because now they have one more thing they want to listen to or watch when they don't have enough time to watch the stuff they already watch. So, yes, if you really want to, if you're a D&D nerd, you'll love this geek and sundry critical role. Uh, I'm, I think I'm around episode 15, uh, and I love every three-hour episode that I get my hand on. So take a look.
0: I am glad you enjoy that, and I'm sure you just did a public service, but all I heard was (laughs) wah-wah-wah-wah, wah-wah, wah-wah-wah.
1: Then obviously you've never played Dungeons & Dragons, because it's not that. (laughs)
0: Uh, I'm sure it's fine, but that what you just said was like my seven-year-old watching me fly a drone. Yep. No interest Every, in it whatsoever.
1: Everyone has their own poison. <laughs> that's that's
0: right. for sure. Um, and I want to discuss this uh, Roku issue on another <laughs> show. So bring that forward later, uh, okay? Because the you you have compared two devices here that I don't think are even in the same class. They're not. Device, So it's worth no. They're not. About. Uh, but I, I want to move on to what our listeners have to say. This show will be primarily uh, focused around our um, episode 230, Grant Gets Political, just because that's the the feedback that has piled in. I've been sort of stockpiling it. And so uh, that's what we're going to go. But first, Rick just sent me a quick, a quick email. Rick, who uh, uh, is a frequent contributor to the show, he says, I just saw someone actually using a BlackBerry.
2: It was an 80-year-old Whoa. priest, but that still counts, right? <laughs> You know, I mean, hey, maybe the Vatican standardized on BlackBerry. There's lots of Catholics all over the world. There's enough. Yeah. That's enough to keep them in business as a company.
1: Could be.
0: Uh, I did hear that the BlackBerry Priv is going to get the Marshmallow update, so it's now becoming an Android device.
1: Interesting. Hmm.
0: Um, all right, moving on. Renee, and I'm going to read this exactly as he wrote it. Uh, and Renee is is as well. You'll you'll find out why. It sounds like uh, it was written by somebody who English isn't their first language. Because gasp, believe it or not, there are people who don't speak English as their first language. So Renee says, "Super podcast. I'm a new listener of your Geek Rancho show, and uh, ha- and has been listened a half years now. Uh, as a person from Denmark, a small country in Europe, uh, does not quite understand the way your political system works." Uh, was your show number 230, which gave me an insight into the I, as an American, have a healthy and balanced approach on policy. I thank the many good hours and look forward to many good shows in the future. Keep up the good work, all three
1: hosts. Renee, Thank you, Renee. And, and your yeah. English
0: is far better than my Danish. Definitely. Danish, right? In Denmark? I think
2: so. Uh, yeah, I believe, yes. So I remember watching, I believe it was head of the class. This is like when I was in, uh, I was in high school when that show was out and they went to like this, uh, thing and this Russian was talking to them and, you know, and the, the smart American smug says, wow, let me congratulate you on your complete butchery of the English language. And the Russian looked back and said, let me congratulate you on your complete ignorance of the Russian language. And so (laughs) ever since then, I've realized I might speak better English than they do, but, I can't even speak what their first language is, so my hats off to anyone who has learned another language, regardless of how good or bad you know it. So, congratulations, Renee. Um, I mean, you communicated to me in my language, so you did a good job. Yeah. And even
0: even worse is when you get somebody from you know another country who just schools you in your own language. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's really frustrating.
2: <laughs> yeah. So,
0: um, Renee, I I hope that we didn't give you. It's an overly negative view of the American political system. Um, if you've listened to the show for six months, uh, you know that I I am an ardent patriot, um, e- even when patriotism requires me to go against my government. Uh, and so uh, I, I feel that that show was negative, but I, I do believe also that we tried to be even handed and uh, and you know, as honest as possible about it. And I, and I hope that we truly did give you some insight. But uh, still, uh, I, I think that we may have been more negative than than is entirely appropriate. Uh, you know, it's kind of like when uh, you can pick on your brother, but somebody else can't. And so that show was us picking on our brother.
1: Right. Yeah, and that's typical. I mean, we we are the geek rant, so rants are always usually semi more negative than a normal conversation about things. So yeah, it's in the title.
0: All right. Uh, And also Ben had some comments uh, and he says, uh, picking up in the middle of his email, I hate this notion we have that the establishment, uh, excuse me, I hate this notion we have known as the establishment. Imagine if people got fed up with eye doctors. I'm sick of these eye doctors and their crap. I think I'll get my cataracts fixed at a bakery. No one would say such a thing with any uh, subject but politics. The answer is to get involved and keep in touch with office holders. I attended a party caucus for the first time this year. This barely scratches the surface of what I should be doing. The frightening truth is that our democracy is a pain in the butt to keep up with. I'm ashamed of myself on this topic. Let's all pay more attention. I heard a legislator say on a talk show that if he heard from five people on an issue, that that is one to pay close attention to it. They just go about whatever their business is. uh, Excuse me. They just go about whatever business they want to do otherwise. Uh, Well, that's $2,000 or worth of my two cents. I like the show. So, Ben, you're right. It's all about uh, Americans being disengaged from their own government. I I think that's the, the crux of what we said and the government being disengaged from Americans.
1: Totally understand and agree. The only thing I would say in rebuttal is uh, if you work 50-plus hours, though, how are you supposed to keep up with politics?
0: But at the same time, it's your duty. That's the frustrating thing. It's difficult, but democracy is difficult.
2: Well, a republic is difficult. We're not in a democracy, Mark.
0: No, but it's the democratic part of our republic that is the thing that we have the most access over.
2: Yeah, and you know... a friend of mine on Facebook, he, he posted, golly, look at these presidential candidates. That's why I'm not voting this year. And you know, I didn't comment back to him, but that process, even if you think that race is ridiculous, there's a whole bunch of, un- there's the undercard of politics that is really where most of the things happen. So there's the next door issues all the way up to the nationwide issues. And even if you can't know everything about all of them, you know, you should at least vote for a, something that you know yeah the county tax
0: assessor has more power over your life than does the president
1: probably and,
0: and, and only his relatives and the people who don't like him they're the only people who voted for that in that race <laughs> right
1: <laughs> see when i was in high school i remember hearing my government teacher tell me that if you're not voting you really don't have a right to complain
2: hmm. so, but at, at the same token if you don't know anything about the person then you really shouldn't be voting right an
0: ignorant vote is as bad as no vote exactly all right so uh next in is uh basically a treatise uh a dissertation that jim wrote uh but i'm going to read it in its entirety and we'll discuss it as we go because i think he makes some some good points there and offers some great uh fodder for discussion he says great show guys there are so many aspects of the discussion that i've thought about but decided to comment on just a few uh, even though I tried to shorten it, this message wound up being pretty long. My apologies in advance, and my apologies if some of it does not flow well. So, A, it struck me during your conversation that all of the wonderful technology that we have available may also be a detriment to making wise decisions at the polling place. There was so much information always available that it becomes overwhelming, and I believe it is overwhelming for the mass, vast majority of normal folks. So they latch on to the most important issue to them, as you suggested, is the case. They latch on to the glitz, the emotion, the flavor of the month. And in the process of latching onto that issue, they miss the point of electing officials, which is to selectively elect folks that will philosophically be similar to us, who study what the issues and represent us in discussing and deciding the issues, but also with the understanding that sometimes they will need to compromise for the greater good. If we elect officials using that approach, we would also need to understand that in the process of doing his job, an elected official might have to change his position on an issue just because of the circumstances at the time of considering this particular issue. Yet, we currently expect candidates and elected officials to be consistent with their stances on issues over their entire career. I'm not sure that anyone in any race or any office could fully and completely describe his or her standing on all issues on demand and, con- and consistently. Still, we expect that if a candidate so much as changes one small part of his description of his stance on an issue, for instance, using and where he used or the last time he was asked, he will be roasted in the media for an inconsistent position on this particular issue, and we will have the inconsistency come up in future campaigns. Excellent point, Jim. Definitely. Any other commentary, guys?
2: No, I mean, he hit the nail on the head. Sound bites. Don't make good politics, and politics are lousy when they're condensed to sound bites. So, you know, nobody cares. The reason they just look at this answer and say, "Last time you mark C, this time you mark B. Why did you change your answer?" Therefore, I can no longer allow you to take this test. And Which and we kinda- see
0: we see that with every president. Um, mm-hmm. They they get to the the Oval Office and they're briefed, and suddenly they go, "Oh." I I,
1: yep. I I didn't know that. Um,
0: and and
1: and yet, those are things that are not brought up to the public right. either.
0: We need to allow our politicians the privilege, the right, the the necessity of being dynamic individuals. And I love the way Jim puts it: you 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 elect somebody who's like you, and who would make the decision that you would make, understanding that you would also change change your mind. You know, if you're the kind of person who never changes your mind. That's not just unwise. That's un- no human can do that. It's not possible to live in this world and be that stone-minded. You just can't do it. Um, if you go to McDonald's and they tell you they're out of McNuggets, you have to do something else. Whether that's go to another McDonald's or order something else or decide not to eat, you must change your mind. But the political uh, equivalent of this is you're sitting at that drive through at McDonald's saying, no, I want McNuggets. Well, you, you can't have McNuggets for lunch. You can have McNuggets for lunch tomorrow. We'll get a truck in. No, I want McNuggets for lunch today. You would call that person a loon. But you would. if But if, if the subject is nuclear proliferation and they get to the White House and find out we're all out of nukes, <laughs> they have to change their opinion. And we don't allow them that freedom. Excellent point, Jim. I'd never heard it put in those words before. So uh, I, think, I thank you for that commentary. Yep. yep. All right. Moving on with his missive, B, with respect to the Electoral College, I think that it's outlived its usefulness. Remember that at one time U.S. senators were apportioned by state legislatures excuse me, appointed by state legislatures. But that would seem ridiculous today. The original idea of selecting presidential electors was that they would be able to vet the candidates more thoroughly than the common citizen could. At the time, it was probably the best approach. In a current political environment, the primaries in each state and the national convention serve as the vetting of candidates now. So the candidates that wind up on the ballot in November have already been vetted by the parties. And it is very difficult for an independent candidate to get on the ballot in all 50 states. So it's most likely that a candidate from majority party will be elected in any election. Currently the electors are uh, excuse me currently the electors are committed to a particular candidate. If the presidential vote were a popular vote, Al Gore would have been elected president in 2000. I preferred Bush but I'm not uh, but I'm more in favor of eliminating the electoral college. One more reason for wanting to eliminate the electoral college. I don't know what other states uh where this is true, but the last time a democrat carried Texas was in 1976. It seems to be a bygone conclusion that the republic will carry Texas. Republican will carry Texas. So the candidates are more interested in campaigning in the swing states. Texas has two of the top 5 metropolitan areas in the nation. I'm thinking that candidates uh, might come to see us a little more if they have have to fight for all votes. Any thoughts on that, guys?
2: Well, I totally disagree with him on this. I think that, you know, again, even though the states still appoint the senators, it's just now they appoint them via the popular vote rather than via the state, the state house. And so. I think it goes back to the original compromise, the compromise that made the country, the big states giving up some of their, um, you know, the big states could have went on it, could have done things, you know, and you could have like the state of New York, the state of Virginia and things like that. But the little states like Rhode Island and Delaware, they were too small to do anything. So the big states say, hey, we'll give up some of our autonomy to allow the other guys in. But this is one of the still quote unquote benefits of being a larger state. So, uh, again, you know, that's more politics and stuff like that. But I, for one, am, I like the Electoral Oil College. Yeah, so
0: uh, going back to the 2000 election, Bush-Gore, if you look at uh, the state population, you see that it really was three large states that, uh, yes, he would have won the popular vote, but by virtue of winning three large states. And if you break it down even to the county version it's it's like the country mouse and the city mouse. It's pretty amazing. You see, uh, rural America, uh, small cities, small states had one opinion. Uh, California and and uh, New York and Florida had a different one. And that's you know that's the way it went. So the Electoral College is sort of a, a, a buffer. It's a it's a dampener to to prevent the all out mob rule of straight up a uh, popular vote. I do, however, I unless something has changed. Uh, In 2000, I did this research because I was uh, interested in that whole hanging Chad bit. Um, Electors in the Electoral College are not bound by their vote. So a state, it is said that all a state's electoral votes go to a candidate, but the actual individual elector himself can put whatever he wants on that ballot. And what's on that ballot is what carries the day. So his Hmm. state can say all our votes go to Biden. He's not running, so I've feel okay to say that name. Um, all our, uh, uh, votes go to Biden, but, uh, the individual guy can say, no, I'm going to vote for McCartney and, and he can do that. And at the end of it, when they're tallying the votes, McCartney gets the vote. So that, that's the way I understand the process. So it's, it's never happened, but the, the process is written in such a way that the individual person being selected because he thinks like other people, can have some level of autonomy.
2: That's interesting. I didn't know that either, Mark. I think that might vary some by state because I think some of it is on the first ballot, they have to vote as like the vote was. But, you know, on the second ballot, if no one had like won the process, then they're free to do whatever they want. And that might just be the party primaries. But I think that's how it is. Um, in the actual electoral college, but I haven't looked at that in quite a while. I would definitely need to look at, man, you know, maybe we need to start a civics podcast.
0: (laughs) I I know at the, at the convention level, when you have the national convention, all the states go to the candidate. So the, and that that is in lockstep. It can't be deviated from, but that's only to select the, the nominee. So And I think people mistake those, or I'm mistaken. I'm wrong as, as often as as once a year. So it's entirely possible that uh, that I'm wrong about
1: this. Wait a minute, Mark. You said you're never wrong. Well, I was wrong <laughs> about that.
0: All right, moving on with his, his email. C, if any candidate would support some or all of the following, I would vote for him in a heartbeat. Number one, strict adherence to the Constitution. Could not agree with you more, Jim. Number two, constitutional requirement for term limits for Congress. We'll have a discussion about that. Number three, constitutional amendment to eliminate the Electoral College. Number four, constitutional requirement for Congress to pass annual budgets in a timely manner. This would need to have the provision that they do not do not collect a paycheck and that the president, vice president, and cabinet do not collect a paycheck so long as there is no budget passed. All right, Let's address the fourth one first. It doesn't matter. These people aren't spending their money. They're spending campaign monies or they're already rich. Uh, yep. Hurting them in the pocketbook will mean nothing.
2: Unless but there would, were fines on top of – that's what they need to do, not just withhold pay, but then turn around and find them.
0: If they froze their campaign assets, that would have something. Because a, 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 an elected official lives off their campaign even well after the campaign is over. People are still making campaign contributions, big giant air quotes. Um, and the, the jets that they fly around in, the campaign does that. The hotels that stay in, the campaign does that. So you freeze all their assets until the budget's passed, that'll get some attention.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I I think that would be an interesting thing to see happen.
0: But then I think you would end up with pointless budgets. Pass it just to pass it. Sure. Um, So moving to the third one, electoral college, I think we already disagree on that. I mean, uh, uh, what's interesting, a constitutional amendment or requirement, um, the president doesn't have any ability to write an amendment. Um, He can champion it, but you're voting for a guy – because you, you say that I'm voting for a heartbeat if he would uh, support some or all the following. So it's just to support, right? But you're voting for the four years that he'll be in office for the fact that he can only support something that he has no power to do. That's interesting logic.
1: Yeah, I don't understand how that would be. Yeah, I mean, all he can do is propose it. I,
0: I think, and, Jim, you may be falling victim to your own uh, single issue logic. That you were talking about earlier, uh, yeah. And, and J- Jim, I've I've converse, conversed with you many times over the course of this podcast. I know you can take this, so I'm not picking on you. But I think, C there you got to the end. You got a little tired, <laughs> I think I think you kind of fell apart because point A and B was really good. Point C, um, you you're well, kind of falling apart a little bit.
2: But you also assume that point C is only the president, so you know this would be for any elected person. I would okay, think. all right, you're right. I
0: did make that assumption. Sure. Duly noted. Because a senator, a congressman, absolutely, that's that's where that power li- lies. So, okay. I stand corrected. This is me
1: being corrected. Possibly corrected. Yeah. Possibly. Depending Possibly. on, because we don't have a def- definitive on his <laughs> thought process. So, <laughs>
0: point of order! <laughs> <laughs> and lastly, he says, D, Mark, I'm thinking that this episode was closer to your original ver- vision of the pe- periodic table. Yes. And like the first three episodes were that. And then it devolved into, man, isn't Florida weird?
2: <laughs> yes, it did. I still run across Florida stories. Man, still when I'm doing the news. So,
0: And uh, it was funny. Uh, and fun, but not what the show I intended to do. And lastly, we've had some very relatively positive uh, feedback from our, our listening audience. Uh, so I wanted to share the Linux Ghost comments uh, where he says he was simply not impressed. So he talks about two shows here. Uh, Hello, Mark, Seth, and Chris. After hearing show 229... I tend to sway and agree with Mark about GNU Linux. For almost a year now, my primary PC is a Windows 7 desktop, and I sometimes use Linux Mint to check out what's new and different. Mostly, though, I use Linux for installing distros on old PCs that I give away to people who are too cash-strapped and the like. So this is the guy whose name is the Linux ghost, saying he doesn't use Linux. Uh, that was basically where I opined that that Linux doesn't matter anymore. Um, and then he says, I do like the new name as it fits Better to the podcast. Show 230. I listen to the first 15 minutes and the last 10 minutes and snippets in between for a few seconds and have to say, please don't do that again. Politics is incredibly boring and not geeky at all. Maybe Sound and Fury is the place for that, but that's my two cents. Sorry to hear that Seth is jobless and reliable computerless. Hope that both change for the better real soon. Great show, big fan, The Linux Ghost. So, uh, Linux Ghost, your voice has been heard. Uh, I have to say, though, yours is the minority voice. Most people seem to like um, uh, that show. We enjoy doing it. So you may just have to fast forward through another podcast here and there. Um, but I I do I take that seriously. Uh, I knew that a that a, a segment of our audience wouldn't listen to it, and I have a feeling that the reason we haven't got the negative feedback is those people did what I said and just skipped it, and yep. so they have no feedback to give.
1: And that's that's okay. That's why we pre, you know put a big prefix in front of it. You know, if you don't like it, skip it and come back.
2: But don't worry, that's definitely not in every week nor every month. It might not even be an every year thing. But
0: yes, um, and then the the next one I accidentally closed the website, and so I can't remember. And I'm I'm looking for what it is. But uh, this was an actually actually an article written by S. M. Olivia, um, and the web website that he wrote it on was. To be determined later. Wait, coming at you. Uh, OpenSourceWriter dot There it is. So he wrote an article in March on OpenSourceWriter dot com, um, including. Uh, excuse me, entitled uh, seven recent Linux podcasts worth a listen. So I've excerpted part of his uh, uh, article here says, anyhow, rather than simply uh, listing my favorite podcast, I thought I might be more helpful to identify specific episodes of a podcast that I found especially useful or memorable. This is by no means a complete list of every worthwhile Linux or open source podcast out there. My list below is in alphabetical order by podcast title. This is not a ranking. So I'm not listing all seven because, I'm arrogant and I want to talk about me. Uh, he says, Geek Grant number 221 slash 224. It's a brand new year and Facebook follow-up. Geek Grant, formerly known as Everyday Linux, is a social commentary podcast with a Linux and open source flavor. Best description I've ever heard anybody say. So I'm going to read it again. Geek Rant, formerly known as Everyday Linux, is a social commentary podcast with a Linux and open source flavor. As the new name implies, hosts Mark Cockrell, Seth Anderson, and Chris Neves are geeks who tend around rant about stuff. On the January 6, 2016 episode, number 221, Cockrell went off on a particularly epic rant over an Australian man who was fired for posting an inappropriate comment on his private Facebook account. The dialogue between Cockrell, his co-host, and his listeners continued on the February 20, uh, February... 27th episode. February, January is what he wrote, but I think he meant February. He probably meant January. January 27th episode 224. And I found it to be one of the more informative discussions about the impact of social media on professional relationships. So, S.M. Olivia, thank you for your uh, review. Want to come on the show sometime and talk about open source writer? We'd we'd love to have you. But I I do appreciate, that's actually a really good description, a social commentary podcast with a Linux and open source flavor. That's good stuff. Um, much like saying not about Linux, but about life in the context of Linux. And yeah. and my favorite was per- particularly epic rants. Um,
1: yeah. I've, I've had some good
0: rants over the years.
1: That was a good one, though. That's been uh, one of those that uh, definitely stands up on the top.
0: Mark's P-E-R Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> um, th- there have been a few times that I've just been foaming at the mouth, and that was one of them. Um. So that's our listener feedback, our mini rants, as we're calling them. And uh, let's see, what's the time here? We're okay. We got time to do a few news stories. So let's talk a little bit about Windows 10. Um, I, I don't know what this is, but I'm guessing you're saying you really, really, really want people to have Windows 10.
2: Uh, no. no. So okay, I titled this Windows 10 is just playing around because what happened. Oh, there it is. Okay. Yeah. Windows 10 has just taken overtook and overtaken. Windows 7 in Steam share leadership. So Windows 10 64-bit is now the leading choice for Steam gamers. It has a share of just under 37%. And there were only two operating systems that grew uh, month over month. Um, this one and Windows Vista 64-bit. So I guess if you went from 1 to 2 because somebody reset their machine, that would do it. <laughs> but, um, be. it you know, and Linux, you know, is down to 0.85%. So is nobody buying the Steam machines or is nobody running the Steam OS that would cause that? Or is it simply not being tracked? Again, I've never found where Steam has released how they do their surveys or how they report them. But I would think if your your flagship way of accessing Steam is a Linux-based um, thing and it's 0.85 you're doing something wrong so but again just wanted to point that out you know we've we've we not every month but we regularly mention the results of the steam hardware or steam software survey so windows 10 apparently people love it 64 you know, bit yeah. yeah well i mean mm-hmm. It's getting to where you really don't want a 32-bit. You know, even those cheap little 2-gig tablets, a lot of them are 64-bit now. Yeah. I don't know why, but they are.
0: What what I think this tells us, uh, well, and the reason why is so that you can have access to more than 4 gigs of RAM. Um, what yeah. I think this tells us is that Steam has a broad base. It's got the hardcore geeks, but it also has a lot of non-sophisticated users. And so I think you're seeing these Windows 10 people represent the non-sophisticated users. I, I think most heavily, highly sophisticated users probably aren't using Windows 10. Maybe that's just my bias. But, you know, as I talk to the geeks out there, they're sticking with Windows 7 or, or you know, going uh, some other route. But the guy who's just going to go buy a laptop and get a Steam account and play Warcraft, uh, I don't even know if that's on Steam. Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, just uh you know he's see I'm so unsophisticated that I don't even know uh I think that I think that's what this represents that's my reading of those tea leaves is that uh, you know most people are, who are buying uh new who are heavy gamers are buying new machines their windows seven machines has been around a while so mm-hmm. they're buying a new gaming rig, and they're not interested in tweaking all the bits, and, and they don't care whether it's beer or speech. Uh, they just want something that runs Steam. So they go to the store, they buy Windows 10, and they're, they're done with it. So but, I don't know that this actually means anything. It's just uh, an indicator.
1: But yeah, so but, I, think, I mean, th- or go ahead, Chris. I was going to say, I think part of it is the fact that a lot of Steam or, or Linux got people that are running Steam are either doing it through Wine or they're doing it in a dual partition mode because a lot of the games that are out there aren't linux compatible still. So we're we're seeing a lot of people who are, you know, buying their games in windows or, or through wine and not buying it in under win- under their linux credential. At least in my opinion that's what it looks like cuz I I'm end up not, in not- that spot a lot where I'm in a I I see steam pop up and it's like you know, on my my Windows partition, I'm like, oh, I want to go buy that game. I'll buy it and then flip over to my Linux version. And I'm like, oh, I have to win- run this through the Wine version in order to do it. Or I'm in my Linux partition. I run my my Steam in or through Wine and end up in the same place where, oh, yeah, that's now counted as a Windows install, not a Linux install.
0: But it's not going to be counted as Windows 10. Uh, Wine is not emulating Windows 10 right now. No. It's not that I've seen.
1: Not yet. Not yet. That's one of the things they're working on. But
2: But I think it's still based in 7. I think that if your flagship product is Linux-based and the Linux market share is not even 1% anymore, it's gone down, and it's lost 15% of its already Mm -hmm. dismal market share, that something is wrong. Either the survey is not an accurate reflection or... Or the Steam Box has been the most colossal failure ever, so you know. I mean, again, I just think it's weird. Yeah,
0: and that's a that's an excellent point. The Steam Box, I think it's not safe to call it a failure yet, but it's certainly not a hit either.
1: Well, uh, you don't really see them yet. I mean, I haven't seen one in a big box store yet, but the only place I see them is on online. So. If they're only selling online and they're not in big in big box stores, you're never going to see it sell because the average person is not going to buy it online. It's only going to be the people that are Steam, you know, designed, I guess would be the best word or f- idea for that.
0: The hardcore, not only hardcore gamers, but hardcore Steamers. Yeah. Because at that point, you can't do
2: other games. So,
1: oh, other than Steam. Yeah, right. you're stuck in Steam only.
2: Well, yeah, and I wonder if maybe if if all of a sudden we'll see an uptake because you know gamers what every year or so replace their rigs, so maybe their maybe their next rig will be a Steam OS. Until then, they're just they're going to use what they have until you know they get their tax refund to buy their next machine, or you know they get their allowance from mom. One of the two. <laughs> so i that's possible point, too.
0: At this point, I'd like to recommend that you click on over to Linux Gamecast Weekly and see what they have to say about it. Because they're actual Linux gamers and not guys who sometimes play a game and use Linux. Okay. Uh, Next up, Toshiba laptops are hot, hot, hot.
2: Yes, so hot that Toshiba wants them back. Um, they are recalling <laughs> over a hundred thousand laptops because of faulty batteries. Um, basically the batteries can like either melt and or catch fire. Um, on their Protege satellite and Tasera, which is basically the three that they, three brands they make, uh, all laptops sold in the US and Canada between June 2011 and January 2016 manufactured in China and Japan are affected. The laptops were sold mainly through office depot staples and toshiba direct again i think those are the top three places to buy them but also from other electronic stores and online websites so yeah basically um Toshiba, you know, and again, this happened a while back with Dell. Dell went through their faulty battery thing. Apple went through there, had to lock down their password on their battery, or you can make it overheat and explode. So uh, Toshiba is just going through their faulty battery phase. You know, it's like if you're an antivirus manufacturer, you go through your nuke the OS with a bad update phase. If you're a laptop manufacturer, you go through, burn the crap out of somebody with a bad battery phase. Though so this is Toshiba's.
0: And, you know, once all the uh, Christmas season was over and people, people weren't buying those hoverboard things anymore, the battery manufacturers had to move on to something else. Right. So they're setting mm-hmm. your fi- house on fire with those instead.
2: Yeah. You know, it, it's all a scam. They're working out with the uh, big box Home Depots and Lowe's to try to generate more business. House burns down. You got to remodel. I'm <laughs> no, just
0: kidding. We just we gotta have something better than slapping two different metals together and sucking the the what juice comes out of off. It. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there's new technologies on the horizon, but this is what happens. We are literally pushing a uh, hundred and fifty plus year old battery technology to to its melting point in the literal sense, uh, and this is what happens. Um, somebody come up. I know. I read uh, recently. Actually, maybe I think I heard about it on on a different podcast, maybe security now. A, a solid lithium battery that doesn't have any um, um, insulator fluid at all. No really? electrolyte, um, which is interesting and, and is almost super capacitor-ish in its capacity. So, you know, there's work being done, but still right now, we're sticking metal together wrapped in goop and calling it a battery.
2: Okay, but again, I think part of the problem here is... The way the battery was manufactured and designed. Yes, yes. So it's not that the technology is bad; it's crappy implementation of old technology that is bad. So
0: well, it's it, it's it's part of it. it. It's also, uh, yes the the imp- implementation was poor, but also it's that in order to get the performance that we need, we have to be running at ninety nine point nine percent efficiency all the time. Right. And so we can't handle a one percent flaw.
2: Yep. No, I I will not disagree with that statement either.
0: <laughs> Red Hat is Just- growing and growing and growing, and they're now multi-billionaires.
2: Woo-hoo! Yes, they are the uh, world's first two billion-dollar open-source company, and it was only four years ago that they passed the one billion-dollar mark. A story we covered on Everyday Linux. That's how long we've been doing this show, and how fast they've doubled in size. Um, their last quarter was. Um, five hundred and forty-four million, and the um fiscal year that just closed was two point oh five billion dollars. So again, just because it doesn't have to be proprietary closed source to make money. Now again, they're not Apple um, size, they're not Microsoft size, they're not Google size, but two billion dollars. I don't think anybody would turn that down. Hey, would you like to be in charge of a two billion dollar company? Nah, Nothing. that's not nah.
1: Project. I'll go take a nap instead. Not yeah. bad for a support company. Yeah. yeah, my
0: favorite part about this is Red Hat does not sell a product. They don't make anything that, that is for yep. sale. I mean, they make a product, but they don't sell the product. The product that they make is free. And all of their money comes from from supporting people and helping people out uh, with with their product. And that's kind of amazing. I, I it may be, you know, mystical magic somewhere along the line. Let's uh let's have a product that doesn't cost anything. And let's pay people to help them out with it. Now, you could also say that it's so hard to use that people have to pay you to help out, but that's really not the case. Um, they're just hitting that uh, enterprise market where they want every every enterprise manager wants to have an eight hundred number they can yell at. It's scapegoat. Yep. They are a perfect. They're a two billion dollar scapegoat. That's how they make their
2: money, and that's yeah. okay. And yeah, you know, the vast majority of their income, four hundred eighty million dollars last quarter, came from subscription. So that leaves roughly sixty four million that I don't know where it comes from. Um, but that's well, they the sell Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I wonder if they're red. So,
0: <laughs> all right. Um, this one nice. I think will take too much time to talk about. Um, the uh the phone encryption thing. Um, but so let's talk about the FBI one. The FBI doesn't like it when people do what they do only
2: better. Uh Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I mean, it was in the news. The FBI was took Apple to court to unlock the phone later. They didn't have to, but you know, so they all love to use the courts to demand, um, Other companies give up their secrets. Well, it turns out that there is a case involving a child pornography viewer on the um, dark web. So through Tor and the FBI was able to use a hack to access the tour network and come up with this guy's identity and so they have they basically filed a motion in court that says we need to know how you did this to make sure the scope of the warrant wasn't exceeded blah 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 and the FBI FBI is going "Mm, we really don't want to do that because you know it would just be telling other people how to get around it so now they are fighting the judge that ordered (laughs) them to comply with the motion because they don't want to give up their secrets so Again, you know, I mean, in this case, hey, it puts a child pornography viewer behind bars. I'm not talking about the morality of the situation. I'm just talking about the legal precedent of if you're going to use the courts to demand your way, then you need to abide by when the courts say you got to have it the other way, too. So interesting case interesting story i thought you know people might be interested to take a look at because i mean it raises a lot of things is the fbi compelled to turn over how they access this because apparently they got a warrant to go after um the, the tour network and i don't understand how they did because it's obviously not in here that's what the that's what this motion is about so but you know if they got a warrant to do X, Y, and Z, and they had to do W, X, Y, and Z, did they exceed the scope of their warrant? If they did, then they can't use this information, and there would not be able, then legally, they wouldn't be able to use the proof they acquired to convict the person. Um, And it just it it's an interesting thing, and I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I thought it was something that we might talk about what what i
0: i want to take a different take on this and and remind people that the fbi is not a spy organization federal bureau of Inve- investigation they are the government's uh private detectives yep uh, that's that's what they do they they don't pass laws they don't make laws they don't enforce laws they investigate federal bureau of investigation everything they do is supposed to be uh, above board and legal because they're representing the government. That's the F in federal. So mm-hmm. the CIA can claim tricks. You know, the NSA less so uh, because they don't have a charter to spy on their own citizens, but they do uh, foreign nationals. That's okay. Uh, the FBI, they're just investigators. And it's very important that we hold our law – It's enforcement's not even the right word – Our our legal –
1: Arm Watchdogs. of the
0: government uh to the law right and and so i get that this is an important thing the judge wouldn't want to do it and i see why they don't want to do it because nobody wants to give up their best tool and if this is one of their best tools they don't want to give it up so i think the 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 way to do this is some sort of you know sealed court document where yeah. they uh, reveal this but it's interesting that they're they're saying you know you're kind of tying our hands here guys uh, if we let you if we tell you and this becomes public then we can't be super secret anymore mm-hmm. well that's kind of okay you're not supposed to be super secret you're not a spy organization you're an investigator
1: yeah, yeah. right it's an but interesting it's- thought though because I, I mean what's you know, I can understand why they don't want to give it up and I can understand the reasonings behind it all but man that's I want is I wouldn't mind seeing it you know I'd actually look at it
2: Yeah. Okay. Now let's, let's take this out of the cyber world and put it in the real world. The, the Bugatti family. I don't know if there's a real crime family named that, but let's, whatever, there's been a massive undercover investigation about them. There's been two dozen agents undercover infiltrated their organization. Well, during the trial, um, they produce a motion that says, you must tell us who your undercover operatives were to see if they broke any laws when they were investigating us. Would the government have to abide by that motion? And well,
0: there there is precedent to say no that confidential informants can be yep. kept confidential. But there's the already thing precedent is this, for it, and maybe there is precedent for this, but I'm not aware of it. Not you know, with all the years I spent in law school, uh, yeah. I know anything about it. Uh, but I I do think it's interesting that they didn't come back and say pursuant to yada yada yada. They're just saying, um, we'll get back to you on that.
2: Yeah, no. I- so, but yeah, I mean, d- to me, that's the same situation. It's just one of them is, you know, a cyber hack, and the other is a personal hack. You've, you've tricked this person into being your friend or to being your confidant or you're their confidant, and then you take that information and you use it against them. You didn't read them their Miranda rights beforehand because right. they weren't under arrest, and so now... You've used, you've exploited a known hole. You didn't create the hole, or maybe they did. But you investigated this, you know, if I had a microphone with, you know, like a parabola microphone going through a window and I heard your conversation, there would be nothing wrong with that. This is the digital equivalent of holding a microphone and getting somebody's thing. Is it or is it not?
0: If, right. If that's what they did. And that's the question. Uh, and the fact that they don't want to answer, you know, it says that they sort of gave a half answer, right? Um, which, yeah, you know, and I, it's a tough, it's a, t- it's a tough situation that the not only the you know investigators but also law enforcement are in. You want you you want to have your tools that you know the the, the iPhone cracking thing makes sense, right? The guy committed a crime, and we want to use all the tools that we have to to pin the crime on him. That all makes perfect sense, but we have protections and we have laws in our country and in other countries for a reason. And you get into these uh, these gray areas here of you know how much how much of the kimono should we open? I, I'm not anti FBI on this. Uh, I just want to you know sort of bring some nuance to the discussion. Yeah, that everything they do should be in the open, but sometimes it can't be in the open until after the fact. But if it's an ongoing investigation. And I think what they're saying is that this trick is used in other ongoing investigations.
1: That's uh, how I would read it, too, listening to the the way it was worded. That's, not, that's what it sounds like right now, that they're investigating somebody using Tor, and they need to be able to break through Tor in order to keep things, uh, information flowing.
0: And then we could spend a whole other hour talking about why you're going after the guy who views porn instead of the guys who make porn. Um, but, you know, they're just as break as breaking the law as the other people, I guess. Right. Yep. Um, one last one just for grins. Um, <laughs> <Uh-oh>. we- <laughs> I'm trying to say, you want to do this one, Seth, or the, uh, the California, Texas one? They're both kind of about the same. Um, I just... All this drama I'm creating for the audience. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah.
2: Am well, I missing something awesome here? Yeah, no, I think it's... Um, let, let's talk about California because it takes the eye off of East Texas. Um, you know, we have... I, I personally, since I still live in East Texas, have lamented the fact that the uh, federal circuit court based out of Marshall apparently thinks what's the dumbest technology um precedent we can set in the law and every time they get together they do that but so california an assemblyman from california has added wording to a bill that um would force phone and software makers like apple and google to gre- to decrypt data or face fines um, it would require any new smartphone from 2017 onwards be capable of being decrypted and unlocked by its manufacturer or operating system provider. And it goes on to say at its point of sale or any time in the future. So therefore, basically it says that you can have no encryption because Mm. if this, and of course this is California, it's not, federal, but, you know, Google's based in California. Apple's based in California. They're not going to make two models of their operating system. They're not going to make two models of their handsets, one to comply with California and one not to. This has one of the, this has the possibility of becoming a de facto law, um, a de facto nationwide law. And I, I just think this is someone who is a complete and flaming idiot, um, to pass a bill that would mandate the ability to decrypt in response to a court order at any point, not just the time of sale. So I could understand maybe at the time of sale, but then if I wanted to have my own encryption, how would that work? If I developed my own encryption and I added it to the phone after I purchased it, uh, I would then be breaking this law if I was in California. And they would not be able to comply, so I would be forcing them to pay a fine because they couldn't decrypt what I added to the phone after the fact.
0: And and then just to you know, tag on the word hypocrite, he's an iPhone user.
1: <laughs> yep, right. Uh, and I bet you it's encrypted. Well, they all are. So yeah, right. Uh, well, b- well, it depends because I mean, if you only have a four-digit PIN, is that really encrypted?
0: It's still an encrypted fine phone. Um, and that would be illegal if his bill passes. Yeah. Uh, so what I I have an interesting take on this. I think I'm actually perfectly fine with him trying to pass this law. If, if we the people decide that we don't want any secrets, that's perfectly within the system to do that. I don't think such a law should be passed. Um, and for all the points you just said, it's just, it's dumb. It's essentially, um, uh, no encryption, but he's at least going about it the right way. This wasn't some judicial fiat. This that's was him true. trying to start the process and have the discussion. So I don't, uh, I don't think he's an idiot here he's misguided he's ignorant uh, but that's not the same as being an idiot
1: yeah ignorant i would agree with and
0: okay. the problem is that he's a politician he's not supposed to be a technician and i'm a technician i'm not supposed to be a politician um and it's i don't expect a senator uh or congressman from california to to understand encryption that's not his job it doesn't right. bother me that he doesn't understand it if this law became a law and and there were no reasonable experts, and this is what's trying to happen right now other laws are trying to this whole backdoor thing um, then it would be a failure of the system but again I'm not mad at him for following the system we just need to re- revamp the system uh, but the fact is encryption is out there uh, yep, and Matt, if you make it if you make it illegal for manufacturers to encrypt a phone they will sell an encryption ready phone. That is open at the time and say, push this button on your own and it will encrypt the phone and they'll be within the bounds of the law.
2: Well, no, because this, they would have to be able to decrypt it at any point.
0: So no, only, only the manufacturer would if they encrypted it. Right. But if I encrypted it, I'm not, I'm not bound by that law. If I put true crypt on my hard drive, I'm not bound by that law. Only the manufacturers are. Hmm.
1: It depends on how you read it, I guess.
0: I didn't so, read it. I just read a summary in the article.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it I, all depends on the wording of the of the law. I mean, right. if he's worded it as in a way that he's pointing at the manufacturers must be able to unlock or unencrypt the phone at all t- at any time, then the manufacturer would be getting a fine if you encrypted it with a third party tool.
0: I disagree with the fundamental premise that secrets equal evil. Yes. Uh, and that's that's a common government line, is that if you have secrets, you therefore must be evil. Uh, and we're risking the children, mm-hmm. um, you know, quote, risking our national security and the safety of our kids <laughs> by having an encrypted phone. No, yeah. you're not risking anything. Lawbreakers still break laws.
1: Yep. It's and, the same and, thing with the gun laws. So
0: what they're doing is still against the law, whether or not their phone is encrypted. Mm hmm right okay i I think Seth did you have anything else to say about it
2: no that was it okay <laughs> that was quick <laughs> uh
0: i I kind of turned that one around uh the article is mocking him for being an iPhone user and being duplicitous and yeah that's funny chuckle chuckle uh but the the thing to have it's it's a good discussion to have um uh, secrets from the beginning of our government secrets have been okay. Um, The whole, you know, Fourth Amendment, Mm -hmm. I think it's fourth, right, search and seizure means that I'm allowed to have stuff that the government doesn't know about. And that's been held up time and time again that I can be compelled to give a key or to uh, uh, give over the combination to a safe, but I cannot be compelled to divulge what I know. And so here you run into this line is, um, is decrypting the phone, opening a safe or is it divulging what i know because it takes my my password to do it that's the the legal thing the, the real fundamental question that we have to answer as a as a country is are there things that man has a fundamental constitutional right to never tell anybody
1: and i think so personally
0: uh you know i i think so too but it wouldn't bother me so much if from a constitutional level up we as a country said no there should be no secrets that can, are unreachable by law enforcement. I, I it wouldn't bother me that much because we will have fathered, followed the process, but we're not following the process. We're we're trying to you know shoehorn it in there and by fiat say that this time you're not allowed to have a secret. We need a ruling from the from the constitutional level as to whether or not an American citizen is allowed to have a secret.
1: So if they come across a way to you know stick your head in a a device to read your thoughts you would which be okay with that which absolutely
0: will happen in time i i absolutely believe that and yeah. i'm i'm not saying whether or not i i say it, i'm okay with it i'm just saying that from a constitutional standpoint we've never answered this question
1: that's yeah. that's what i'm bringing up is the fact that personally i think anything in your head should stay in your head
0: but only in your head so there's no there's no box there's no sanctum there's no physical well, item that is sec- sancri- but sacred. But if it's sacred, an encrypted
1: thing the key to unlock it is in your head. You should not be. What if, be, you're what not if be it's f- a fingerprint? But well, if it's your fingerprint, it's you could be compelled to give a fingerprint,
0: and you're okay with
1: that. But you cannot be compelled to give up a password because it's in your head, and I'm all right with that. If I had a police officer walk right in right now and hand me a court order saying I need your fingerprint on this device, I'd be like, uh, "Well, I need it looked at a lawyer, and if he says yes, it's legit, and yes, you have to do it, then pfft, I'll put my thumbprint down." Because I'm being, I'm following the letter of the law, but it has to go through those steps. Okay, so but
0: what if, so we've invented now the brain print reader and you get a, a, a summons, a court order that says, put your brain in this brain print reader. Are you okay with that?
1: No, because it's in my brain. It's a thought. Thoughts cannot be, re, thoughts or uh, your memories cannot be regurgitated in a way like if if you lost, you know, get a, a head injury and lost you know, portions of your mind you couldn't regurgitate that information, and even a machine couldn't do it because your thoughts are electrical signals; they're not a physical thing.
0: Well, yet, sure, we'll be able to do it. We couldn't read fingerprints at one point, so just stipulate whether yeah. it's science fiction or not. Just stipulate that at some point in the near future, we have a brain print reader. Do, it, are you
2: okay with that?
1: No, because at, at that point, you're you're reading my mind, and I'm not I'm not okay with. But what, my mind. If, what
2: if they passed a law saying if you're compelled by a court order, you have to submit to it?
1: Then I would move.
0: Okay. <laughs> and, and that's actually a perfectly valid answer. If you don't like the laws of the place where you live, go someplace else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, f- further on down the, the line, what if um, we have the ability to quickly and rapidly uh, synthesize your brain as it is today from a DNA sample? Are you okay with giving that DNA sample so that they can go, go bro- grow a virtual brain? And then right. read its thoughts.
1: Nope, I still would be. Well, but then your, your your memories still would not be there because they are not, you know, there's no well, way of having. In,
0: in this fictional world I've invented, they are.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, in your use, fictional world. They can world. transport you and use dual confinement beams like they did for <laughs> Riker and make a perfect hole. It's all you. in the pattern
0: buffer already. <laughs> right. It's all there. Because yeah, once you've got the pattern buffer, you can take one living follicle of Dr. Pulaski's hair and recreate her. So it's all there. Yep. <laughs> Complete with memories and, and hopes and dreams. Oh. Okay, so that satisfied both the geek and the rant part of the show. I feel confident that we can now end this show. <laughs> but before we do, Seth, tell us what happened this week in history.
2: Okay, so April the 3rd, 1981... The Osborne 1, the first successful portable computer, is unveiled at the West Coast Computer Fair in San Francisco. So um, the Osborne 1 weighed in a whopping 10 pounds. It had no internal battery, but you could fold it up kind of like a suitcase. It cost over $1,800, and some of its specs included um, a 4 megahertz CPU, 64K of main memory, and um, a 5-inch, 52-character, 24-line monochrome CRT display.
0: And dual 5-and-a-quarter-inch floppy
2: drives. Yes. So that was, and it was the first commercially successful um, portable computer. So it was that-
0: a beautiful, elegant device for its time, a masterpiece of engineering mm-hmm. that today um, looks and like a joke.
2: Yep. Yes, and, you know, your smartwatch has more computing power. Way more. Way more. And, and this, this is 35 years ago. So that's how young personal portable computing is. So, anyway, that happened this week in history, um, 35 years ago.
0: I can go to, you know, my local big box store and pick up a 7-inch a tablet. Or five inch. It was a five inch screen. Pick up. Yeah, I don't even know. I could get a five inch tablet. Let's say I could. <laughs> I could pick one up that is thousands of times more powerful for hundred bucks, two hundred maybe. Yeah. And this was eighteen hundred and nineteen eighty one dollars, which is probably in. It's the, over four thousand uh, today. Yeah, I was going to say four to five thousand. Um. So, and and people shucked out the money and were happy to have it because it was it was an amazing piece of equipment. In our lifetime, even baby boy Chris, it was in your lifetime.
2: Yeah, one one of the things that set this apart is it was bundled with software that was almost as much as the computing itself if you were to buy them separately. So this was one of the first things that actually gave you a usable device, not something you had to buy, then buy a bunch of software to go with it. So,
0: huh. We were talking uh, at work, some of us old geezers, about the show Chips. California
2: Highway yep. Patrol. Pastor oh, Johan. love, man! That was a and love show.
0: One of our co workers had no idea what we were talking about, and so when we went to look it up, we found out not only did it begin before she was born, but it was off the air before she was born. Oh! And I reached for a geritol and uh,
2: asked, "order <laughs> did, to walk. Did you see the follow-up movie that they made? Oh, God, no! <laughs> <laughs> it came out in the eighties, I believe. It might have been early nineties, but there was a uh, there was like a you know. And it was Chips the original movie? cast. Um, yep. All right. I um, remember that one. That was actually neither pretty of those good.
0: guys have ever worked since. Uh, that was their one one thing.
1: Pretty Flash much. Flash in a pan.
0: Um, and following on the political wrap-up, Seth has a politically offensive co- uh, link for us at the end of the show.
2: <laughs> Dude, I of mean, course. Again, yes, this will offend some people. But uh, this has sound, and it really does. You don't get the full effect if you don't utilize the sound. TrumpDonald.org. Takes a minute to load, and then you can Trump Donald.
0: (laughs) And that's it. I have nothing to say about this. Um, (laughs) Whether you like Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump, um, this is fun either way.
2: And for the best effect, put it at the bottom facing up. And every nine clicks or so, there's a little added extra effect. But try it from different angles. It is worth it. Um, his eyes follow it. Yeah, just.
0: <laughs> this just is funny. this is uh this is hamster dance. Yep. 2016. <laughs> Pretty much. A jib jab. Maybe. <laughs> All right. So this is the part of the show where I tell you how you can feed back to us. You want to be fe- uh, featured on a Mini Rants episode, maybe number two, maybe number three, maybe number 16,000, because we're going to be around that long. You can do that by going to elementop.com, click the Contact Us button at the top of the show, uh, fill out the form there. That sends a nicely formatted email that gets priority in my inbox to make sure that I read your message before I read mortgage uh, offers uh, from... Uh, African princes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or you can uh, send us an email at, uh, at geekrant at elementop.com. I almost said EDL. Geekrant at elementop.com. That goes to uh, all three of us, lest you think I am censoring the guy's email. Or you can call 559 am op Leave us a voicemail on our Google Voice Box, and we will play it on the show, even if you're insulting me. Um, if it's funny and witty, that's good enough. So, uh, we, as I've said so many times before, we couldn't do this show without you. Well, we could, but it'd be pretty pointless. You are the reason we do this. So it's important that you let us know what you think, good and bad. Uh, don't just say, you know, you're a jerk, Ken, and leave it at that. Uh, constructive criticism is always welcome. Um, uh, sycophantic praise better. is even more, uh, welcome. So we appreciate that. Also, you're welcome to throw money at me. Go over to, uh, um, patreon.com slash uh slash op, uh and and throw money at me there that would always be a good thing uh or you can uh do nothing and give me money that's the best thing slacktivism at its best <laughs> go to uh when you go to amazon instead go to dot slash amazon make your regular purchases cost you nothing more i get a little kickback a little vig a little a little uh juice on the side money a little juice for having sent you there uh and it doesn't cost you a thing and uh, you
2: know uh
0: why not? Why not do something that costs you nothing and pays me money? Because yeah. I'm if a good guy like and I deserve to keep your money.
2: Listening to the show. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes. Should you be interested in continuing your podcasting activities, it might be a good thing. Um, anyway, thanks for hanging out with us. I always love doing this show and uh, look forward to seeing you next week because that ends this episode of the Geek Grant.